Today we are continuing in our, our study of the Gospel of Mark. And as we read a little bit before the, the Scripture text, we see that Jesus has traveled to a, an area on the Mediterranean coast about 30 miles from Capernaum. And this was an area that was inhabited primarily by Gentiles. However, his, Jesus didn't go there specifically to preach to the Gentiles. Instead, we see that, again, as he had done so many times before, he was actually trying to get away from the crowds. He was trying to uh, escape from the stress and the tension that he was experiencing from ministering in Galilee. And some people would say, what do you mean the stress and tension of, of ministry? If you don't believe that there's stress and tension involved in being in the ministry, I urge you to try it for a while and get back with me. I knew Pastor Magine would amen that one. Another thing he was attempting to do was to separate himself not only from the stress and tension, but also from the opposition that he faced. You have to realize that Jesus faced opposition probably on a daily basis. A lot of the opposition that he faced in Israel was from religious people, religious leaders. Although he healed the sick, he raised the dead, performed all types of other miracles, Things that most people would, would look at and say, well, this guy is the Son of God, and they'd be happy about it. Instead, many of the religious leaders looked at him as a threat to their power. They said, this guy really is for real, and if the people start following him, they're not going to listen to us anymore. So these religious leaders didn't want to lose control that they exercised over the people. And they didn't want their positions challenged by Jesus. They also, another thing, keep in mind that the people at that time were under the rule of the Roman Empire. They didn't want any trouble to, to get stirred up that would get the attention of the Roman rulers. Because if that happened, then Rome would send in soldiers and they would take over and then they would lose their power, that little bit of power that they had. So their main motivation of these religious leaders was not anything religious. The only thing they really had in mind was self-preservation. Preservation of them, of, and maybe prevention of the Romans coming in and, and taking over what little power they had. Of course, Jesus' problems did not end with the religious rulers. Another big issue was just with the common people. Often people, just like his disciples... And, and here was the problem that he had with just the, the common people. They didn't understand the goal of his ministry. They were anxious to gain their political independence from the Romans. And they thought Jesus was the one that was going to deliver them from the Romans. So they looked at Jesus not as a deliverer from, from anything other than Roman rule. They didn't look to anything eternal. They didn't look to anything spiritual. They looked at him as he was going to come in and set up a kingdom. Even his disciples had problems with that. They didn't understand that Jesus' primary purpose was not to become a political leader, that it was about spiritual redemption from a world that's separated from God by sin. There's a lot of people today that have turned their salvation, or what they thought was their salvation, into much the same thing. There's, there's so much that's spoken about from the platform about 
prosperity and, and blessings. And yes, that's part, of, that's part of, of the benefits of what we get as Christians. But it's not the primary focus. If the only reason that people come to Christ is so they can get rich, then they've done it for the wrong reason. And we see this time and time again in Jesus' day that people came to Him for the free food. They came to Him to watch the miracles. And they never, ever grasp what he was really there for. They never got the real truth. So things haven't changed all that much. Even his disciples, if you look back through the Gospels, you'll see where there were times when the disciples got in arguments among themselves over who was going to be second. We know Jesus is going to be the leader of this kingdom here on earth, but I think I should be second. There was even a couple of them went and got their mom to go to Jesus. Now that's sad. And the other disciples kind of got mad at him and said, seriously, you went and got your mom to go to him? Because they didn't get it. They didn't understand that it wasn't about an earthly kingdom. And you figure, if the ones that were closest to him, those who lived with him day in and day out, if they couldn't understand it, you really can't get very mad at those people that saw him one time. And I believe that this, this reality had to weigh heavy on Jesus. You spend all of your time doing miracles and teaching and, and trying to tell people about something that, that is far better than what you have here. And then when you talk to them, they just don't get it. It'd be kind of like you get up and teach a Sunday school lesson and no, this has not happened. I'm just using an example. You get up and teach a Sunday school lesson, and um, when you, you, you get through, somebody comes up to you and goes, so who do you think is going to win the Bucks game today? Well, that would be an obvious answer, but not the Bucks. But it's like, well, didn't you hear anything I said? Yeah, yeah, that, that too. But, and that's... That's all it was about. And I'm sure that had to weigh heavy on Jesus to think, I do all of these things and I teach and I talk about all these things and then people come to me and all they want to talk about is this, this kingdom that's going to come and will overtake the Romans. I've got to get away from these people. And that's what we see him doing again here today. Then there was another problem that I think might have been one of Jesus' biggest problems was that he had to overcome the skepticism of those who knew him as a child and as a young man. When he traveled to his hometown of Nazareth, he was ridiculed by those who knew him as a carpenter. They knew him as the son of Mary and Joseph. His friends and acquaintances couldn't see past his human nature. They couldn't grasp the, the implications that he was really the son of God. Now, before you get too harsh on the people of Nazareth, Nazareth, think about this. If somebody you grew up with, and you watched them as a kid, and you watched them as a teenager, and then they go away and they come back a few years later, and they say, by the way, I'm the Son of God, you'd probably have a little problem with it too. Jesus even addressed this in, in John 4 and 44. He said, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Why is that? 
because you go back home and you're just Jesus. You're Jesus that lived down the street. And it was tough. And I think that was something that he had to deal with also. Oh, I, I knew him. I remember when he was just a little little guy. And it was hard to get that respect. There you go. And, and, and you know, as I was studying this lesson, I, I was reading this scripture... It's, it's not so much like that, but I can see that a little bit in my own life. I grew up in this church, and there are people that haven't been here for a while. They come back, and I'm still David. But to a lot of people, I'm, I'm David, that little boy. And it's hard for them to see past David, that little boy, to David, the Sunday school teacher, or David, the worship leader, or whatever. And so I can understand that a little bit, that it's, it is a little bit more difficult. And, and I think that was one of the things that weighed heavy on Jesus also. So you see, he had all of these things that were just pressing in on him. Opposition and tension and, and, and just stress. So to get away from these things, the conflict, the confusion, the skepticism surrounding who he was in his ministry in Israel, Jesus temporarily, temporarily leaves behind the land of his people, Israel, and he travels to the Roman city of Tyre. And that's where we start our reading today in Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 26. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He had entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. So when Jesus arrives in this, this city of Tyre, he takes up residence in a home and he tries to keep quiet with hope of maybe getting some rest here because maybe nobody will know him. He's just tired. It didn't work out very well. Because his reputation preceded him, so it was impossible to keep his presence a secret. And there was one woman who discovered where Jesus was staying, and she acted quickly to enlist his help. It seemed that her daughter was possessed by a demon. She wanted it driven out. Obviously, she had heard that Jesus was capable of doing that. Remember, this is one of the things that Mark recorded earlier in the book of Mark, where he had cast out demons out of people. So she had heard that. So she goes to the only one who she thought and knew could do just that. The woman intrudes in on Jesus' quiet time. She falls down at his feet and begs Jesus to help her. Let's go to Mark 7, verses 27 through 30. This is what Jesus said. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. To call someone a dog in the first century A.D. was quite an insult, and actually it probably still is today. <laughs> However, in those days, 
Calling someone a dog was equivalent to calling somebody a word today that means female dog. So you can see that it was, it was an insult. We can see that it was not a term of endearment. The Jews sometimes referred to Gentiles this way to show their contempt, contempt for anyone who was not Jewish. They just honestly believed that anybody that wasn't Jewish was subhuman. With that being said, the word that Jesus used here was not the common word that was used by the Jews that referred to an, an adult dog. The, word, the Greek word that most Jews used was the word kuan, K-U-A-N. Instead, Jesus used the word that is kunarion, which was a much softer word that was used to describe a, a small dog or a puppy. So while it was a bit of an insult, it wasn't as harsh an insult as what the other word was. Now, that's not to say that Jesus didn't use the other word from time to time, because there's several instances that he actually used the, the harsh word. But that was in a derogatory way to, to refer to those outside of God's grace. And you can look those up also. But here's the important thing. Jesus' reply seemed like more of an insult than it actually was. Jesus was telling her, all he was saying is that he couldn't rightfully take what belonged to the Jewish people and give it to a Gentile. And his initial response to this woman who came to him with, with a, a serious problem, this was a serious problem she had. She knew she had no place else to go, and at first it might seem that, that Jesus' response was harsh, insensitive, or maybe even unloving. But what Jesus was really saying was that his primary mission was to bring the gospel to the Jews first, not to minister to the Gentiles at this time. Now, that wasn't saying, and it wasn't implying that the gospel was reserved exclusively for the Jews. Jesus was trying to communicate that the gospel was to the Jews first. They were to get what was first, and then the Gentiles would receive at a later time. And there's several places in Scripture that Jesus pointed out that he came to fulfill the prophecy to come to the lost sheep of Israel. That was a prophecy from the Old Testament. In John 1, 11 through 13, he pointed this out that his offer was, was extended to all who received him. He came to that which was his own, the Jewish people, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And basically what he's saying, this scripture here is saying that he came to the Jews. The Jews decided they didn't want him. So from that point on, it was to anybody that would come to him. And he's, he, what he's saying in, in, in verse 13 is that they're not, natu they're not naturally born children. They're adopted. But they're children just the same. And that's what we are today as Gentiles, as non-Jewish people that have the gift of salvation that's offered to us. We are not offered that because of our, our lineage back to Abraham. We are offered that as adopted children because of Jesus Christ. 
And that's all that Jesus was saying to this woman here. In Romans 2, 9 through 11, Paul talks about something similar. There will be trouble and distress for every human, human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. We see that Paul was confirming this, this priority of reaching the Jews first, but he was emphasizing that God does not show any type of favoritism. In Romans 2 and 11, for God does not show favoritism. All non-Jews, Gentiles, us people, would eventually have the same opportunity to hear and receive the gospel. And if you read through the entire Old Testament, through the gospels, you see that that was exactly the case. And the, Jesus wasn't saying to this woman that you're not, you're not worth it or you can't have it. He was just making a point that that's not why I'm here. And we have to see that, that this woman was in a, in a place where she knew she had no place else to go. Another thing he might have been doing was testing the woman's faith. And maybe even testing her understanding of the extent of God's love. And follow me here for a moment, because this, is, this will make sense if you stay with me. By posing it to her like he did, she had to have a response. Now, if she responded in a way that rejected the notion that God wanted to share the gospel with the Jews, God's chosen people, it could be seen as an attempt to take something away from those people God wanted to reach first. So if she went in and said, well, I don't really care why you're here. My daughter has a demon and I want this demon thrown out. She would, she, right, she would be saying, I really don't care what your purpose is. On the other hand, if she concluded that she was just totally insignificant in God's eyes and that she had no right to his blessings, it would indicate that she felt like she was outside the scope of God's love. So if she came too, too boldly and said, I really don't care that you're just here for the Jews, it would make it look like she didn't care about the Jews. If she came and said, oh, okay, well, I'm just not worthy and walked away, then that would be the exact opposite. But here's the cool thing. This woman's response was perfect. She, it showed that she had a healthy understanding of the extent of God's love. She didn't reject the fact that God's desire was to the Jews first. Not at all. She didn't, she didn't conclude that God didn't care about her as a Gentile. She didn't ask Jesus to take something away from someone else to give to her. She simply said, can I benefit from what somebody else doesn't want? Can I just get what, what they don't want? She was saying, can, can you just give me what the other people throw away? Give me the leftovers. Because if they don't want it, I'll take it. And she was relentless. She could have said, just as soon as Jesus went and said the thing about, I'm not taking away from the, the children and give to the dogs, she could have said, well, okay. And walked away. But she wanted what only Jesus could give her. And she was relentless. 
And I believe that Jesus was impressed by her answer as well as her persistence. And his response was to remove the demon from her daughter. There's a lot of lessons that can be learned from this story. The first one is that even when we feel separated from God or we think others deserve His blessings more than we do, God loves and cares for each of us equally. He loves each of us exactly the same. And, and there are times when we don't feel that way. If you're really honest, there are times when, we, when you feel like, well, God just, he just cares about other people more than me. And here's the great part. And this story just points this out so beautifully. That his love is not diminished in any way, even if we are feeling unworthy of receiving it. Just because we don't feel worthy doesn't mean that, that he won't pour his grace and love out on us. It proves us that none of us are any more or less deserving of God's love and grace. You see, the devil doesn't want us to believe that. He will try to make us feel unworthy of even going to the Lord for help and say you don't deserve it. And you know what? The truth is we don't deserve it. That's the great thing about God. The greater truth than we don't deserve it is that God doesn't do things for us because we deserve it. He does them because of His grace and because of His love toward us. So when the devil comes to you and says, you can't go to God for that, you don't deserve it, you just look at him and say, yeah, you're right, but I'm going to go anyway. That's kind of what this lady did. Jesus said, you, you don't deserve it, and she said, I know, but can I get it anyway? How cool is that? The second lesson is that it pays to be persistent. The woman in this story understood the character of Jesus. And the most important thing is she really knew in her heart that Jesus wanted to minister to her needs. She knew that because she knew the nature of Jesus. She had heard stories of what Jesus had done for these other people. No doubt she had heard stories of, of where he had cast demons out of other people. Now it's her daughter. This is the only man that can help me. It wasn't that she felt she deserved it. The fact was she asked for it in spite of the fact that she didn't. She was confident in her appraisal of Jesus. She thought it over, and she said, I really think I understand who this guy is. He helps people. He gives to people when they can't help themselves. And I'm just going to take a chance. So with that in mind, she boldly approaches Jesus. That's right. And she persisted with her request. And I believe she fully believed that Jesus would do something about the problem that she had. And Jesus recognized her response. It wasn't said in any way other than one of great faith. And he responded to that faith and met her need. In Matthew's account, of this same story in the, the Gospel of Matthew, 
Look what Matthew wrote. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. It was almost as if Jesus listened to this lady and went, Wow. How can I not do this? I just told this lady that she was, she was below anything deserving of what she's asking for. And she said, well, please, can you just give me what somebody else doesn't want? She was persistent. She came there for a reason and she was going to leave with an answer. And as I, as I studied this this week, I was torn between a couple thoughts. Because there's times that I have believed that if we really have faith, then we should be able to just go to God one time and say, God, this is what the deal is, and this is what I need, and I have enough faith, and okay, let's, let's see it done. But then the other side is persistence. And it, I don't believe it shows a lack of faith to go back again. If anything, this story here points out that she went to him and said, I have a daughter that has a demon and needs to be cast out. And pretty much Jesus said no. And she said, but could you do this? So it shows that maybe there's times we need to just be persistent. Maybe we need to stay before God. And there's been times I have kind of gone back and forth as to which way was the right way. I think this is the right thing. We persist until we get an answer. Maybe not be the answer we want, but we, we are persistent until we receive a definitive answer from God. Yes, it is. That's right. That's right. Even though the opposition was against him, just he wasn't going to give up. And I, that, that movie last night was, a, again, a great example of that. And, you know, it, it's kind of like in sales. And Brother Ashley was in sales for years, and I was in sales for years. And it, the one thing about sales is, is you present something to the customer, and then what, what they say back to you is called an objection. And the way that you handle an objection in sales, one way is to say, other than that, is there any other reason why you wouldn't want to do this? And that's kind of what this lady said. He said, you're a Gentile and what I'm doing is for the Jews. And um, so no. And she said, well, other than that whole Jew thing, is there any reason why you wouldn't take this demon out of my daughter? Well, I guess not. I'm not asking to take anything away from them. I'm just here for my daughter. There's some easily recognized synonyms for the word relentless. One of them is persistence. The other one is perseverance. These words are used to describe a person who continues to pursue a goal in spite of difficulties or a person who remains steadfast in order to achieve a particular end. Success seldom comes 
without pain and perseverance. Take, for example, the author John Grisham. Anybody ever heard of John Grisham? Grisham is the world's most commercially successful novelist of the last decade. He has well over 100 million books in print in 31 languages. Yet he was hardly an overnight success in his transition from being an attorney to a writer. His first novel was called A Time to Kill. It was rejected by 28 agents and publishers. When an agent finally did take him as a client, the book's first press run was 5,000 copies. Of those 5,000 copies, Grisham himself bought 1,000 of them and sold them out of the trunk of his car to bookstores. It was only after his second novel, The Firm, hit the bestseller list did he get his big break. As of now, six of his books have been made into movies, and the press run of his most recent volume, A Painted House, was a phenomenal 2.8 million copies. Rejected 28 times his first book. That was enough that most people would have said, I guess I'm not a writer. Actually, probably the first ten of those rejections would have, most people would have said, I guess I'm not a writer. It's said that Thomas Edison tested 3,000 filaments using different materials and techniques before he found a combination that was commercially viable to make a practical, long-lasting, incandescent bulb. Through it all, he never gave up. He was confident from the very beginning that he could and would come up with a bulb that would stay lit for hours and could be lit by a commercial power system. His perseverance paid off. When asked about it and how many times he had tried different things, rather than refer to the 3,000th one, he said, I just found 2,999 that didn't work. And we're the beneficiaries of his genius and persistence. It paid off. How many people would have continued after the first hundred, much less the first thousand? And, and these might be extraordinary examples of, of persistence. But we see everyday examples of these things in, in our lives today and people around us. There's, there's people, ordinary people, that set a goal that they're going to go on a diet and lose a tremendous amount of weight. And you know what? They do it. It worked. It wasn't easy. But they said, I'm going to do that, and they do. Or it's someone who endures the pain of training and, and running so that they can run a marathon. And I'm sure before they ever got to where they could run a marathon, there was times they thought, I think I could just be happy with being able to run 10 miles. I don't think I need to run that whole... How far is it, Brother Ashley? 26. 26 point... 
too. Brother Ashley has done that. I can tell you that I have not. <laughs> and that same kind of relentlessness is the same kind of relentlessness that the woman in this passage of Scripture we read today had. She said, I don't care what it's going to cost me. I don't care how it's going to make me look. I really don't care what the first answer is. My daughter needs something, and I'm going to persist. That's right. That's right. And Jesus honored her persistence and her faith in Him by granting her request and healing her daughter. The lesson here is that it's important when seeking direction, guidance, and help from our Lord that we don't give up. God's response to our, our, our needs may be delayed in our mind. It might not be the answer that we want to get. But we need to persist until we get an answer. And I'm not saying, please don't take this as saying that if you want something, if you just keep asking God and asking God and asking God, He's finally going to say whatever and give it to you. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we need to be persistent until we get an answer. How many times do we do we? take a need to God, and we never go back and address it again. Being relentless in our pursuit of things that bring honor to God. And persisting in our prayers as we ask for help. Here's what it does. It gives God the opportunity to show us how much He loves us. And how much he wants to take care of our needs. How do you think this lady felt about Jesus when she walked away? Do you think she had this just complete awe of Jesus? This man that said, I didn't deserve it. And that's not why I'm here. He, he healed my daughter. Knowing that Jesus cares and loves us equally is the first step in being able to confidently come to Him with our request. When we absolutely know that He loves me as much as He loves you, I have no problem coming to Him with the need. Being persistent, persistent also shows that we understand the extent of His power. This lady only went to Jesus because she knew, she knew that He could do what she needed. She recognized the extent of Jesus' power. And as equally important, it also shows that we understand the extent of His love. We wouldn't go to God about a problem if we didn't think He loved us. Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with every one of us. He also wants to take care of our needs. But there's times that it's difficult for us to maintain this consistent fellowship 
and benefit from the love that He has for us. Sometimes it's because we get distracted by the things of the world. Sometimes we get distanced by things that are in our lives that shouldn't be there. But when we are relentless in our desire to have a close relationship with Christ, and we are persistent in our prayers, those that we know He wants to answer. Just like the woman in the Scripture we read today, he will ex- we will experience the blessings of Jesus that He is so willing to give to each and every one of us. And we don't come to Him saying, I deserve it and that's why you have to do it. We don't come to Him saying, take it away from somebody else and give it to me. We come to Him and say, I'm just asking because, first of all, I know you can. And secondly, I know you love me. God bless you.